apart from being sick, how are things? Because I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. Um, okay. Like, I, you know, uh, just in theory, work was pretty quiet and mellow. It was one of those weeks where um, – where it was where nobody was taking any time off whatsoever. I was like, "Oh, great, we're fully staffed." And of course, like three people called in sick during the course of the week, and so like Thursday, we were just desperately shorthanded. And I was like, "Damn these slackers!" And then, of course, by Friday, I'm like, "Oh no, <coughs> I get it. They they were actually sick, and and I am too now. Fabulous." So hooray! Hooray! This is going. To, this is going to be a fun month. Uh, maybe we should try and make it a relatively short one. Though. I well, you know, I don't know how long we're gonna, how much material we're gonna get out of it because it feels it's, a little. It's it's a weird book, right? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really, really odd one. Yeah. Um, but the fact that both of us are just coughing and like and yeah. going, so we're both sick. Great, we're both sick, and this book was disappointing. Yeah. So let's see how much we can get out of this. Yeah. Good. Good job. Greetings, citizens. We're coming to you live from the corner of Olivia James Block. It is I, Jeff Lester, and my super awesome co-host... Graham McMillan, hi. I don't... I was tempted to do the I don't know who the super awesome person is. But (laughs) you know what? Down with false modesty, even though in my terms it's actually just like genuine neuroses. Down with it nonetheless. It's me, everyone. Hi. Yes, and welcome to another episode of Drock, the monthly podcast where we read through a volume of the complete case files of Judge Dredd. And we are on volume eight, which is Progs 376 through 423, covering 1984 through 1985. Ah, very in, nice. In publishing terms, which is important for reasons we'll get into towards the end. And for in in life of uh, our hero, it's the years 2106 to 2107. Which is I, – let's, let's just lay it out there right now, Jeff. Not good years. Yeah. For Mr. Judge Dredd. No, no. And and for those of us who, who might be thinking, oh, you mean he goes through a lot of hardships? We're like, mm, that's not I mean, so much I mean, what we're yes. getting at. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, – yeah, this was this was really interesting. This was the first volume that I feel like it wasn't a major letdown, but it was def- definitely a bit of a letdown. There was a oh, lot it, of stuff it's, here. It's yeah, the, it's the flop sweat volume, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because there are I think three different stories in here that you have the feeling that Wagner and Grant were like, this might be the one, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they just don't come together. I mean, most obviously, City of the Damned, which. It's clear, like it's set up to be a mega epic, yeah, and just runs aground almost immediately, yeah, oh, right um, out of the gate. But there's also Dread Angel, which is fun enough, but yeah, is is overextended, and Hunters Club, which again, it just feels very overextended to me for what it actually is. Yeah, yeah, um, it's really interesting. I would say I, I think it is a disappointing volume. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, there's it feels like they're treading water a bit, mm-hmm. and it also feels like they can't. Like they've they've stumbled somehow. Yeah. Um, but that said, it does feature two short arcs mm-hmm. that are amongst my favorite that we've read so far. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a really interesting volume in that case. 
Yeah, I I sort of feel that uh, volume eight. You mentioned flop sweat, and that that could be the case of it. I I it almost feels a little bit like a, the case of the Blas, um, in that Wagner and Grant know the stories that they should be telling, like the stories do, that do they? Well, because that, one of the things that comes across to me in this volume is that they they are they don't. And they sort of go back to the greatest hits with seriously diminishing returns at times. Well, I, I see, and that's it. I actually think that the that the problem is the the greatest hits that they go back to, sort of the big mega prog feel, you know, even sort of the the you know bringing back Mean Machine and things. Um, I, I think they're just like it's not really where they want to go it's not necessarily where their heart's at and i i would maintain that when they get to the point where they where they touch on something that seems a little deeper which is of course that three-part uh question of judgment error of judgment and a case for treatment they Mm -hmm kind of realize it's it's almost like they realize that what they've got is a a little too powerful and they kind of don't know where they they'll go with it so you say that and also the other because that is one of the two sequences that i was that i was talking about being like as good as anything i've read yeah there's also the the sunday night blues sunday night fever sunday night fever exactly yeah which is is wonderful yeah and comes from like a very different place it feels like Mm -hmm. than the rest of the book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it comes from a it's first of all it's much more like Mm low-key because one of the other problems with this is you have like these grand quest storylines right like dread angel and city of 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 the damned or like quest storylines where the quest is kind of dull Mm mm-hmm you know, Sunday Night Fever is not. Sunday Night Fever is technically a return to the, the Graveyard Shift storyline. Absolutely, yeah. You know, but it's rooted in this wonderful thing, which is no one can find a job, and that destroys people. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and that that's wonderful. That 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 brings, uh, I don't want to say pathos, because pathos feels false tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it brings an, a genuine emotion to dread. Yeah. That I think I dread the strip, I should say, not dread the character. That is unlike anything else in this book, but also it really lands home, especially when you consider like it's being done in the early eighties. Yes. Or the, the mid eighties in the UK. Mm-hmm. Where unemployment is, is a significant problem. Yeah. You know? But it's funny because you get these two oases in the middle of what is just a, a you know, for the first time in this series, mm-hmm. the, the series just continually running aground. Yeah. Because because I think you're right. I I think that they find the areas that they find that speak to them, um, maybe perhaps wisely. They don't know how to sustain it, and when they go back to if they if they're not trying to figure out a way to have sort of goofy fun, they just they just can't commit. Like I I do. It is amazing to feel that that Dread Angel is has more fun and uh, I don't know more passion put into it than than the entire city of the damned you know mega arc which I mean it shows but it's also fascinating that it goes just so wrong so quickly it, it's impressive how wrong but that said I also think trade angel is kind of going wrong as well I think so too, Red yeah. angel has 
has a very fun hook. Yeah. That it proceeds to do nothing with. And you have moments of fun in Dread Angel. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so we should explain for people who aren't reading along. Dread Angel is the return of Mean Machine Angel. And the gimmick is Dread needs means help in order to find hijacked uh, clones, hijacked babies that are clones from some of the most famous judges. Right. Fargo is one of them, which means one of the judge babies is Dredd's sibling mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. way, because he's also come from Fargo. Mm-hmm. Um, but he needs Mean's help because it involves going out into Cursed Earth and, and being outside of Texas City, and it's where Mean was brought up, so he needs his help. And they... Basically, fuck with Mean's brain. The science is very touchy. They basically say, we've destroyed some of his brain so that he'll think you look like his father, but his brain will grow back. So it's a limited time thing, Mm -hmm. time deal. Which is a fun, ridiculous gimmick. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of fun in the initial episodes, especially with Mean being incredibly disinterested how his dad came back from the grave. Just saying to, like, no, I've done it myself, so I don't don't care. Yeah. Like, that's fun, right? Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, When you get Mean in the the saloon. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a couple of fun scenes there, like the yeah. the one where he gets really upset with the barman offering him a drink on the house. Yes. Because he's not asked for it. Yeah. And then he asks for it. You know, yeah. that's fun. The Goat Brothers, I think, are really fun. Oh, absolutely. And the butts contest that they have yes. to prove who can butt each other's heads the hardest is fun. But everything else around the story is dull. You yeah. know, like they try and put in fun gimmicks. Uh, Dread tells them they're looking for the lost treasures of Liberace, right. including the death mask of Liberace. That's is, right. Which is, again, it's a fun joke. Yeah. But it's not enough to sustain the story. And the story is like eight parts long. Mm-hmm. And it's really not enough to sustain that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it. Well, because I think it's it's a bunch of action set pieces for the most part. And I mean, it's very I, part of the problem with with uh, with it, uh, with Dread Angel. And I think what's great is. It's the first arc out of the gate here, so it's pretty easy. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's the first big one. Sequentially, yeah. yeah, is it's v- something that very much has been in Wagner and Grant's wheelhouse, which is uh, the idea of a cursed Earth story being very much a place for them to do Western riffs and uh, having the unlikely duo. You know, it's it's very much like something out of a, you know, fun spaghetti western, you know, like they call me Trinity or something like that. But there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's no. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing there. It, just the fact that, as you point out, that the judge child, that, that the judge children, you know, these clones are being marched out in these robots and being incubated. They're supposed to be presented to Texas as sort of a goodwill and a chance, you know, a sign for them, uh, the opportunity for them to raise their own, you know, better stock of judges. Uh, it It's a MacGuffin, and it's amazing how little of a MacGuffin that the creators, you know, really care about it. Because as you point out, like, in a way, one of the children there is dreads sibling for lack of a better term and yet dread doesn't care about that the creators almost don't care about yeah that's just it like it's really weird that the MacGuffin is the clones of these judges Mm -hmm. and 
they're barely present. It's something for them to chase after. But even when Dread finds them, mm-hmm. they're basically like they're in walking, like robot wombs. Yeah. And the, the wombs basically like wander off and go blah 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 blah, blah and that's it. Yeah. And there, there's nothing more to it, and it's so strange. And also, it's very strange because. I might be wrong. I mean, Jeff, correct me if I am. I feel this is the first time that we've actually learned that they're still cloning judges. And in a few volumes, mm-hmm. I want to say there's actually a, a story arc where they more or less say, like, we stopped cloning judges after you, Dread. Well, uh, so here's the thing. I actually, uh, although I could be wrong, I did get the sense that because Texas City is in short supply of good candidates that these are sort of a goodwill gift. But even in this volume, as you know, you've seen, you know, we'll see a story about a cadet who is undergoing training, clearly not a clone, comes from the streets, you know, is a mega city one citizen. So I think it it kind of has a, you don't get a sense that, you get a sense that it's a bit of a special exception, which is in in its own way also part of why these, clones are quote-unquote so valuable even though if you think about it you're like they're just clones they can make more of them you know like it's just send out another batch of eight you know but also none of the the internal logic doesn't ring true not Mm -hmm. only can they clone more clones Mm -hmm. but also you'd think they'd make more about well these clones can't get lost because they're genetically like you know the best marksman or whatever right you know dread because dread is cloned and dread is so great and rico also was you know yeah above average in terms of of his skills like this is the reason why we can't let these babies fall into the wrong hands mm-hmm. never mentioned yeah like the clones are really MacGuffins. yeah there's nothing there to the clones to the point where even when they're found it's it's unimportant yes it's essentially we found them that's great okay bye right done right here's the thing jeff I won't say it, it sort of betrays the story, but thinking back in other mega epics, the Cursed Earth, for example, mm-hmm. like we both talked about when the Cursed Earth ended, it ended with the anticlimax of Dread just getting to Mega City 2. Right. And just being like, oh, here you go. Right. You know? Yeah. Or, or like even the Apocalypse War, mm-hmm. to an extent, like ends in a relative anticlimax. Mm-hmm. You know, we surrender at the end. So it's not like these stories really build to dramatic conclusions right. and later in this volume city of the damned the the aborted mega epic mm-hmm. had so much of an anticlimax it almost swallows itself oh it's amazing isn't you it? you know but it's it's so it's really strange that the the lack of presence for the MacGuffin in dread angel feels so so vast mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it feels so big and feels so important that it's such a letdown but i don't know i think it only does that i don't know why it would otherwise because there's nothing else in the story to support the story. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think I think that, uh, as you point out, there's a fun little idea with, with the idea that, that, that uh, Mean thinks that Dread is his dad. Uh, and, um, you know, I think there's just a lot to be said for, you know, as you put it, a lot of it's on autopilot. Like, Mean doesn't end up anywhere new. Dread doesn't end up anywhere new. And I and I don't even mean in terms of like internal characterization. It's just there's there's just not much actually happening there. Like it's all sort of a relative big enough 
spectacle. You know, they even it's, come. It's an eight. It's an eight chapter story, which honestly, the most you have to rec- to recommend it is there's a couple of good jokes in there. Well, there's a couple of good jokes. I actually really like the idea that is it. Which city is it? Is it Tulsa or? Um... Is, the Tulsa Melt? Yes, the Tulsa well, Melt. It's a, it's a really fun idea. Yeah, right? right. Again, nothing happens there. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they don't do anything with it. And it, it actually is a great idea. The Tulsa Melts is the idea that Tulsa, by the time that the Great Atomic War starts, is made of this new material that when a nuclear bomb goes off above Tulsa, it melts the city. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's great. And also calling it the Tulsa Melts is great. Mm-hmm. It's such a great town. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're running they're, you know, rolling around this sort of these melted ruins that kind of look like buttes and things, but are, you know, re- glassine that are reflecting sunlight and stuff. The the imagery and the idea of it is great. Uh, you know, but it also does. It gives me a little bit of a uh, wonder. What makes me wonder is, is like, I feel like, um, you know, some of this is f- like they're trying to do something great for um, the artists to work with. And I think another thing that's pretty problematic here is with one or two exceptions, um, the art. It, 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 well, I would say that in Dread Angel, the story is is not well served by Ron, Ron Smith. Smith yeah, for mm-hmm. a change, Ron who nor- Smith, who normally I think does a lot of stuff that he very well, just never really catches on fire on this. And it's it's like you find yourself thinking, like, God, if only like escara or steve dillon or um cam kennedy or there's some other great artists in bits and pieces throughout this volume but a lot of it is ron uh smith who who i do like in a certain type of story but a certain type of story that that is feels kind of played out by the time of Mm -hmm. this volume Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you get um people like uh was it Kim Raymond? Kim, Ray- Kim Raymond's in here who we talked about last time and we were sort of surprised that yeah. Wagner and Grant hate him so much. Yeah. Honestly, in this volume, I can see it. Because oh, I think Kim Raymond's definitely. art in this volume is yeah. shockingly bad. Really bad stuff. Like, just again, really, really uninspired. The The story Gator, which is a three-part giant gator story, you know, with giant al- albino gators in... It, it's, which is the net story following Dread Angel. And yes. here's the weird thing. Dread Angel is a letdown. It is it is a disappointing story. It's overlong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have enough to it. Gator still feels like it is unworthy of following Dread Angel. Yes. Gator, it feels... I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. It's a really, really bad, boring three-parter that doesn't even feature like Wagner and Grant's sense of humor to liven things up. And with with Kim Raymond's art... Right. It's just it's it's really really bad. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I you get the sense that maybe there's a a way in which these stories are supposed to be sort of saucy, campy fun. There's like a lot of um, uh, f- fun, gross-out humor, or a lot of uh, a lot of EC-esque style, like, you know, melted skulls staring out at the, the viewer kind of thing. But it, it's 
it's not fun. And the the story where you get the sense that you've got giant gators that are supposed to be like chewing up the members of the Jimmy Tarbuck Block Survival Club. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's like for me, who's a big fan of Hookjaw and uh, Shaco, like I'm, I'm a big fan of giant animals in British yeah, comics you, eating everything. You, you, yeah, you, you want know? animals, you want destructive animals in yeah. comics. But there's, it just doesn't it work. It just never lifts off. It just and, and honestly, part of it is Raymond's art, which is yeah. I'll put some of this in the show notes for people who who haven't read these volumes, so you can take a look. But it's in places it's actually almost illegible. Yes, the art. Yeah, agreed. It's it's overworked and and almost illegible, but also it's really stiff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just it's just especially when you're used to some of the other 2080 artists we've seen. Yeah, it feels overly mannered, lifeless. And when you have a story that, as you said, like does basically rely on on the sort of gross out shock of like it's a giant albino alligator. Also, albino seems such a weird thing to do in a black and white strip, right? But the, but they call it out a few times in the text, and it's like, is this a reference we don't get? Like, was there now a giant albino alligator in the news in the UK in the mid eighties? Sort of. It, I don't know about the UK, but the the myth of the albino alligators were it, it's something that you see here. It actually also gets revisited in Frank Miller's Daredevil, but it goes all the way back to, um, you know, Thomas Pynchon has uh, his Benny Profane encounter one um in in the new york sewers it's an uh, this classic urban legend that kids who went down to florida for their summer vacations were bought these little tiny alligators you I know i don't know they're albino that's fascinating well the idea is that then they're flushed away and so there's always the rumors that because they're never exposed to light they turn into these sort of albino eyeless alligators and it's been an urban legend for yeah so they take it they riff on it it's a you know it's a pretty great idea um you know it's but But again it's three episodes of of lifelessness and Mm -hmm. honestly what fun there could be there especially like if you think about what brett ewins would have done with this strip when you think about dylan when you think about cam kennedy or or Mm -hmm. like going back again mcmahon would have killed in this Kim Raymond's art is it really like suffocates this uh, this strip, and and sort of the the back and forth of 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 Dread Angel and then Gator mm-hmm. like saps the energy going into this book. Yeah, you yeah. know you get maybe fourteen fourteen stories into this book and you're just like, God, do I like Judge Dread? <laughs> right. No, I mean it. It's it was really it's it's amazing how uh, for me like. You know, once we get through those two arcs, we're on a question of judgment, which is the first part of this little amazing dread, dread triptych. I'm shocked that it's 83 pages in because it feels yeah. like it should be, I don't know, 28 or something. Yeah, exactly. like, it feels like it, it feels like it should be like a good 50 odd pages before it appears. Mm-hmm. But that's because there is such a slow start to this volume, mm-hmm. which is genuinely shocking yeah. when you think about really like volumes four five six seven we were like they're on fire mm-hmm. they can't put a step wrong and then not only do they put a step wrong like they put a step so far wrong yeah like it, it, it the drop in quality is so fast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's it's 
actually kind of shocking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they went from from one to the other like so quickly. Right, right. But no, it's true. Like Question of Judgment comes after Gator, and it's funny because Question of Judgment and that triptych is so far above what has come before. Yes, that it's surprising, but also you almost begin to doubt that it is that great just because it's almost such a relief after what's come before. Right. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Well, and it's also, again, it's kind of problematic because it is, again, it's a very strong story and I, and I love Ron Smith, but Smith's art is, um, I don't know. You know, I find myself thinking like, boy, there, there's times where I look at it. And I kind of wish someone else had drawn it, you know, which is. But, but in Smith's defense, mm-hmm. and honestly, Smith is uh, is an artist who I'm not a massive fan of, especially the later he gets into Dread. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that he kind of loses interest, perhaps. Like it, it, there's yeah. a comes a point where I become less interested in his work. The, this triptych also suffers in his collection from having been resized because mm. I think they're drawing the art from a reprint because mm. you see that they have resized the artwork mm-hmm. and so there's some really weird gaps in pages mm-hmm. which is is I don't quite honestly know why that's the case I don't know why they went with that as opposed to the original artwork mm-hmm. but it suffers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I don't know it is it is a it is a damned Damned quandary. That being said, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, do you want to tackle them as a series of three or question of judgment, error of judgment and and ultimately a case for treatment are in theory separate, I guess. But there's enough through line. But they're not. Yeah. Right. Because it's uh, it is three one offs, but it's also not because. Mm -hmm. The first two are theoretically disconnected, except they are thematically connected. And then in the third, the two come together again. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's the, – the point of the of the trilogy is actually a really dark one. Mm-hmm. Is Dredd starts questioning if he's being too, too brutal. Mm-hmm. And it, there is one instance where he is not. He is actually surprisingly kind. And it goes horribly wrong. Yes, <laughs> like it, it, and and not only does it go horribly wrong, he responds to it very emotionally, mm-hmm. which essentially gets him sent to a therapist. And the therapist, I actually really like the third episode where he's talking to the the therapist because it's simultaneously like an origin story for Judge Dredd again. Yes, uh, but also advances the uh, the world building around Mega City One because. The end result is the therapist essentially says, this happens to judges. Judges weary of of, of being violent and of being emotionless. And eventually the, the, the facade breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes them less valuable judges to us. Yes. Yes. Which is a point that's really driven home by the end of this volume, which is great. But, uh, but yeah, no, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting about them. So, uh, you know, question of judgment is is the one where um, Dread basically looks up Judge Morph or Morphe. I'm not sure which. Who is the guy who the judge who 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 passed Dread? The guy who more or less gave him his full eagle. And Dread comes to him 
during the course of the uh, annual Apocalypse Day Parade, um, Morph is doing crowd control. And so it's one of those absolutely fabulous settings because not only do you are there all these images of rampant death and destruction and, and, and apocalypse that people are cheering on, but Morph in his crowd control is, um, you know, ridiculously harsh on the members of the crowd, you know, picking children up who are crossing the lines and throwing them back and like kicking, kicking people in the head to knock them back. And it's in this context that dread, you know, admits to having killed and shot a, a, a perp and admitting that he didn't have to do it. Like he could have disarmed him, you know, and, of course, Morph points out, like, this is how you were trained. This is, It was the right call. Like, the kill shot is the statistically easier, safer shot to take. And Dredd's like, but I know that I didn't have to take it. Yeah, and... I, I could have. I, I know that I could have taken the other shot. I know I could have disarmed him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so Morph's kind of like, look, you know what? You just got to stop thinking about it make yourself more uncomfortable by getting yourself some tight boots. You know, this is what did the trick for me. I, I love the tight boots thing. Yeah, yeah. I especially love it because that comes back a Does lot it? in future stories. Really? As Dread gets older, Dread will, with a sense of, of like, humor, but also love for Morph, mm -hmm. occasionally think about, like, maybe it's time to get tighter boots. Mm -hmm. That that Like, that's what the old man used to say. Mm-hmm. Like you'll That's you'll nice. see that happen more and more as it goes on, which is a really nice humanizing touch for Dread. Mm -hmm. And it's it's one of those things that like I'm used to it through that through through that uh, experience where Dread remembering it. So seeing it here, I was like, oh shit! It's actually the bit where he gets told tighter boots. Right, right. You know, yeah. Um, but it's also it's such a it, I I I really like this this episode as a one off mm -hmm. because you see. Not only a, a kinder side to Dread insofar as he's questioning, like, I didn't have to kill him. Mm -hmm. Why did I kill him? Did I make the wrong choice? But also, you see Dread with essentially a father figure. Yes. You know, and being vulnerable, which does not happen. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And see Dread being reflective. It's made all the better by the fact that Dread is being reflective and saying, should I be kinder? Like, have I made the wrong choice? Am I a bad man? Mm -hmm. And his father figure is you've got to stop thinking like that. You have to be more violent. Right. You're, you're like, stop questioning your decisions. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking about these things. You shot him. That's fine. Right. You know, which really plays with the expectations of, of a, a hero mm -hmm. checking in with someone, you know, because mm -hmm. we expect we're trained to with readers. We're trained to expect that his hero will be like, you know, search your feelings. You know, right. did you do the best you could? And Morph is literally saying the opposite. Not did you do the best you could, but was it the fastest thing you could have done? Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. Okay, move on. Stop thinking about this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you kill someone. Right. Right. And that's followed by error of judgment, which um, in which Dread ends up getting involved. Uh, again, sort of another one-off where he ends up finding out about, um, uh, how do I put it? Like, uh, there's a couple who is 
sort of lost their daughter in in the sense that her their daughter had strayed off the path, fell into the acid pits, <clears throat> had been rushed I, to her, the hospital. Her yeah, her yeah. body is gone. Her brain survives. Also, you notice that the couple is reading Sue Richards, right? Yeah. Again, yes. Ron Smith is drawing the Fantastic Four into try. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is very, very odd. But um, so... So yes, Bonnie is put her her brain is put inside a mechanical body, and of course, in in a, a touch that's all too real for those of us in the USA, um, you know, the couple have to borrow as much money as they can. They put themselves in debt for the rest of their lives just so that Bonnie can have the operation. But she comes back essentially wrong, you know. The brain never completely recovered from the shock and it doesn't make all the right connections. Judge Dredd literally walks in where she's like trying to make friends with a a rat, the rat that she's actually stolen from the agitated Jews that Dredd encounters on page one and two. And the scene where she actually is killing it because she's punishing it for some wrongdoing. Like it's a, pretty horrific image like it's supposed to be kind of funny the the brain in the jar with the little bow on top but you know when you see it like actually killing a rat you know on panel it's pretty gruesome so of course dread does the does the thing that you would expect a superhero or a comic book hero to do in just about any series probably other than judge dread like um he knew they were good people and he figured they deserved a break. So he took them to the clinic and then he made the city pay. And it was Bonnie gets better as a result of this. He goes and visits her. And then of course, when she's rejected by her friends, by looking horrible and like a freak, she essentially jumps into traffic and kills herself. Um, And the, the, Dread apologizes to the parents for, you know, says I should have left her the way she was. And they were like, no, the way she was, that wasn't our Bonnie. If she had to stay like this, then it's better this way. Uh, if she'd had to stay like that, then it's better that this happened. And so Dread comes back, ends up being given hell by Judge Winslow for the amount of money spent on the medical expenses, loses his temper, punches him. And of course, the the you know, Winslow is pushing for 20 years on Titan um, for dread as punishment for striking another judge for no reason. So the framing sequence of this is mm-hmm. they're talking to Chief Judge Magruder. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're arguing their case. And what's interesting is like dread is, is also being like, no, I, I totally did it. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, I punched him. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I lost my temper. Mm-hmm. The end. Right. Just just punish me. And, and Magruder is the one who is essentially, no, you know. It's fine, but you're also you're slipping, mm-hmm. dread. Mm-hmm. You you have to you have to yeah be psychiatrically evaluated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see whether you're still fit to be a judge. And she specifically ties it to uh, what Murphy had said as well. Yes, exactly. Judge you Murphy know, then, came by. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on to the third part, I love that he came into conflict with the accountant again. Because mm-hmm. this is the third time in the series yes. that we've seen Dredd and accountants don't get on. Because mm-hmm. Dredd really doesn't think about how much everything costs. Right. Like he 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 just doesn't. He does shit, and then an accountant comes up and goes, "Okay, 
but how much was that? Like, did you think about that? And he he doesn't care. He's mm-hmm. just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I did my job. You'll just pay for it. Right. I love that this is a running theme. I love that years from now, as in like in the last 10 years of Dread, mm-hmm. one of the, the recurring characters is an accountant. Wow. Who Dread doesn't like because of her job. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really fun running joke. The dread just doesn't like accountants. Yes, and accountants uh, don't like dread. Oh, understandably. Like, can you imagine being the person in charge of the uh, the finances for Justice Department? Oh God! And you find out the dread's just been like, "Listen, I was chasing this guy. He robbed someone, and so I destroyed an entire overpass." Yes, but I got him. <laughs> they'd be like, "Are you fucking kidding me, dread?" Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a fun little little character moment in in again what is a uh a, a surprisingly for all that it is horrific and bonnie is horrific like you say when you see her kill the rat mm-hmm. because she is ostensibly punishing it in her mind in like a gentle way like you know that's that is horrific that the the family have been forced into uh, poverty mm-hmm. in order to pay for bonnie's treatment and bonnie's treatment's fucked up Yes. You know, and they can't fix it. It's horrific. But overall, again, it comes across as a weirdly gentle story, right? Mm-hmm. You have these two stories where there's not really violence, or the violence that is there is accidental. Yes. You know? right. And where Dread is opening up and Dread is, is being empathetic, which he never is. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get these two stories which, again, build on each other, and then it leads into the, the case for treatment story, which is is wonderful but also really i mean chilling it is chilling yeah i think i think for for many reasons uh so a case for treatment is oh and interestingly enough um did you notice this is something that i only just noticed now i don't know about the other ones but um a case for judgments a case for treatment is signed by wagner grant it's not it's yes, not by tb because Gilmer. I think the real re, re, oh, re okay. for the reprint that they've done it in. Got it. Because it's also got a logo treatment that honestly comes from the 1990s, 2018 Dread comics. Mm. Uh, just really strange. But also, again, the pages have, are, are a different format and have clearly been extended. Right. So drawing pages <clears throat> from some reprint in something. And mm-hmm. so I think they changed Wagner Grant from D.B. Grover. Right. And then uh, also what's amazing is uh, psychiatry in the years 2106, 2107 require that you be shirtless for them, which I think is uh, kind of amazing. The Dread, Dread actually strips off his, 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 his shirtless but still has his helmet on, so... But also has a necklace that says Dread on it. Yes. It's not, even, it's not even a dog tag. It's just a weird necklace that says Dread on it. Yeah. It's supposed to be a dog tag, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty great as far as the, the setting of it. And then, like you said, it. what's interesting about it uh, uh, for me for a case for treatment is what what they don't do with the story. As you point out, it's essentially dreads origin story it's dreads feelings from the time that he's five actually you know that he has memories from the womb yeah exactly and um and then through the academy through the shooting and killing of his brother rico you know his first day on the job and apart from that what i think is interesting is it doesn't really come to 
any conclusions. One of the things that is great and unsettling about it as a triptych of stories is uh, is that the through line for all these things is just that Dread is only human. You know, he ultimately has to, he just can't, you know, as, as the psychiatrist says to Magruder at the, at the end that it's like, you know, sooner or later, the human being behind the mask only starts to come out, even in a street hard judge like Dredd. And uh, if he keeps brooding, he may begin to question his role, his very function as a judge, we could lose him. And the, you know, the psychiatrist recommends that they actually alter him psychosurgery and burn out the uh, emotional centers in Dredd, which Magruder fiercely objects to. And says that if Dredd has problems, he must overcome them by his own strength of character, his own will. That's what makes him the judge that he is. Um, so it's kind of this weird, you know, some of the things that we've talked about, about Dredd, whether he's an exceptional judge and what makes him exceptional, you know, is he better than the other judges? Magruder seems to think that, that you know, what makes him exceptional is the fact that it essentially that it's his willpower that it's his ability to essentially suppress his own feelings of sympathy that is part of what makes him so outstanding that if mm. that if he didn't mm. have that opposition in him the willpower that he has would essentially no longer quite be the same quite be as tested and he would end up not being as impressive you know, um, well, the other the other thing about that is when you see when Dread relives his life mm-hmm. in 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 therapy, you see how oddly bloodthirsty he is mm-hmm. when he's younger. Mm-hmm. He's asked when when he's first on the streets, you know how it how it works. Yes. Do you enjoy being a judge? And he says the streets are crawling with scum. Everybody's uncles out there in the make. I have a hundred serious crimes every day, uh, ARVs to a multiple homicide, and there's always a creeper in the next corner waiting to bag himself a judge. Enjoy it? Of course I enjoy it. Right. Yeah. You know that's scary. Is is a bit strong. Yes. But but there is something disturbing about that. He takes pleasure in the violence, in the threat, yeah. in. The idea that he is there purely to serve in this function mm-hmm. as opposed to have any other type of life. Right. First of all, it provides a nice context to where we've seen Dredd in the last couple of episodes mm-hmm. where he is really just being human. Mm-hmm. Just thinking, do I have to take the most violent way? Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to be punished for being human? Mm-hmm. Because then we see that, you know, when he was younger, he he never would have had these thoughts. Right. Like, it literally was not something that would have occurred to him. But then you get the epilogue, which is the psychiatrist actually saying to Magruder, why don't we just burn out his emotions? Literally. Yeah. Why don't we act like he'll be a better judge if we get rid of his emotions? And Magruder aggressively saying, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Surgery will diminish the man. If Dredd has problems, he must overcome them by his own strength of character, his own will. That's what makes him the judge he is. Yep. You know, it's 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 really dark. It's yeah. really dark. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, it, so we should talk about the Wally Squad. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about it's, 
City it's the Wally the Squad is a fill-in story? Uh, the, no, yeah, the, the Wally Squad is a fill-in story. It, is that the City of the Dam sort of ties into this stuff and and yet doesn't at the same time? But, but City of the Dam is clearly intended to come immediately after this story. Right. Because Magruder says, he's got a small case of arms ceiling to clear up, then I have just the mission for him. It may be sternest test since the Apocalypse War. Right. And then it goes into the Wally Squad story, which it clearly isn't, because the Wally Squad story is not the sternest test since the Apocalypse War. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. The small, I mean, the small case of arms ceiling is the Wally Squad thing. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Right, exactly. And then the sternest it's, test it's, since the Apocalypse War is clearly supposed to be City, City of, of the Damned. Damned. Yeah. But the way it ends, it makes it feel like City of Dams is immediately next, right? The small case right. of arms ceiling is just a story we're not going to see. And then we see it in the Wally Squad, but it feels as if they came up with that after the fact. Oh, that's fine. Right? Because yeah. other, well, otherwise, why do you do a cliffhanger for something you're not going to pick up for, like, five episodes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it could be because it feels like, It feels the like they yeah. retrofit it. Yeah, right. it feels like they retrofit it. And they're like, okay, let's do an arms ceiling story then. You know, I, it's it's... It is a good – there's some prevarication here. Just the fact that you get that as a kind of like, yes, his sternest test yet. And then, you know, you follow this trip, you know, this triptych of relatively serious psychological stuff with the Wally squad, which is, again, a very tongue-in-cheek story with some great art by Brett Ewins and um, – and, Brendan McCarthy, uh, and it's just, it's gorgeous to look at. Oh my God, these three parts were so, and again, it really had that feeling of like, right, maybe this is sort of what Dread needs because the Wally Squad is not really necessarily a great story. It's got some fun world building in it because it introduces us to the idea of the undercover cops in mm-hmm. in Dread's world and the fact that the undercover cops are um a little bit crazy essentially in order to be able to pass for citizens. Yeah, well that's just, it also ties in with the previous stories. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you have the whole idea in the in the three parter that the problem emerges when the human comes out from under the mask. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the Wally Squad, where you actually have a judge say in the first episode that the problem with them is they're pretending to be citizens and they start acting like citizens. Right. Right. So, again, if you stop being a judge and you start acting human, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Because the Wally Squad is an incredibly light story. Yes. You know, it's it's two undercover cops have gone native. Right. Well, which is normally right. one of the darker stories for cops. You know what I mean? Like, normally the the undercover cop who, you know, ends up getting lost in terms of their identity uh, is is usually played pretty seriously. Here there is just a, more than enough camp to, you know, keep it relatively light. Like even even when you're talking with the idea of, you know, dirty cops and double crosses and things like that, um, you know, and dread really being aware that that they've you know quote unquote gone native um you know is it and ends up with dread dread killing a judge to save a judge killer you know on behalf of the law so and in the end he says he lived the low life so long he forgot he wasn't just a man he was a judge and our mistake our mistake was we didn't spot it in time you know it's it's 
it ends up being fun. It's kind of goofy fun. And I'm kind of really glad that we had it in between the two because 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 by the time you get to City of the Damned, you're like, oh, boy, this is going to be amazing. Holy shit. OK, I'm really going to get my you know, they're going to knock the socks off of me. And that feeling lasts all of maybe the first and first prog, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's it's genuinely impressive how quickly City of the Damned underwhelms. Yeah. You have a prologue chapter, and then the first chapter of City of the Damned proper is already <laughs> underwhelmed. With its first two pages. <laughs> like, it really is. City of the Damned, it really briefly is... The Justice Department creates a time machine and decides that the first thing they're going to do with it is send it forward 13 years because they're still thinking about the Justice Child storyline. Yeah. And in particular, the prediction that started off in the year 2120, there's going to be a great disaster that's going to befall Mega City 1. Right. Dread obviously didn't bring back Owen Chrysler. Mm-hmm. So they want to check what happens to the city. And they decide that they're going to send Dread and Judge Anderson forward to basically check things out. They go and it is a disaster. It is a dystopia. It's filled with vampires and mutants. Yep. Uh, the majority of people in the city are dead. It is the falls of the mutants. Because it's sign number 22 that City of the Damned is not really coming together. They can't even think of a good name for the mutant. Yes. It's the mutant. Yeah. Who is ultimately revealed to be a clone of Owen Chrysler. The Judge Child. But somehow more powerful. He he has uh, turned the city into his own like disaster playground where judges are vampires. And we discover towards sort of midway through the story, there is a future monster version of Judge Dredd himself who Dredd fights with. We'll get to the ending soon enough. I don't want to spoil it, quote unquote, for everyone. <laughs> but... When I describe it like that, it sounds exciting, right? Yeah. And you can tell the Widener Grant are like, we're going to do something with this. And the prologue chapter is exciting because, again, yeah. it's all built up. But it's built up about something that you think, oh, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be great. This is going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so the prologue is literally, here's the time machine. We're, we're explaining that you're going to go to 2120. We're going to send you forward in the future. And it ends with uh, Dredd and Anderson opening the door and being shocked. And the first part of City in the Damned is a really underwhelming Ron Smith to Parker, <laughs> uh, where they introduce the vampire judges who are, I shit you not, it's called the Hell Street Blues. <laughs> the Hell Street Blues. And at that point, you're like, fuck. This is this disappointing. Maybe the story is going to get better. And listener... It doesn't. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. They they started off with this campy in-joke from, you know, because, of course, listeners, uh, for those of us who are as old as me, and I guess maybe Graham, you know, Hill Street Blues, an incredibly popular, critically acclaimed police show uh, on NBC that started airing around now. The fact that it's Hell Street Blues, and in fact, the judges have names like Renko and Belker. Which are... but, but also, I, sh- I should say, because you can't see this in this book, they had blue skin. Yes, you could right. See, yeah, you can see this on the covers from yeah. the period. Yeah, you, that sort of makes sense. But yeah, so they're the Hell Street Blues uh, with with badges from the names of the characters. Like, it's sort of a, it's sort of a cute kind of 
I don't know, it's Mad Magazine th- by Charles yeah. Adams kind of gag, you know? It's a throwaway gag. It's not a let's repeat it until we've run it into the ground. Oh, by the way, we've run it into the ground by the second time we mention it. Yeah. You know, it's it's really bad. Honestly, like, it's a cover strapline joke. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, uh, this is the opener of our big epic. Yes. I mean, it literally is. Hey, sucker, want to donate some blood? Then take a walk down Hell Street. The boys in blue are looking to put the bite on you. The Hell Street Blues. <laughs> like, on that two-page spread with those captions, yes. you're done with the joke. Yeah, that's it. And that's the opener for the story. Well, that's it. Your cheap throwaway joke is also your big reaction moment. And... And so it just shows you're you're in bad trouble. Like Wagner and Grant are, uh, I guess, as the terminology going goes, they're not committing to the bit, to put it, you know, lightly. They just that is the first indication that they just can't be arsed, you know. Well, it's they, so I'm wondering about this. Is it that they can't be arsed, or that literally they don't know what to do with the idea? Because they have the basic idea of they're going to go to the future. There's going to be a clone of the Judge Child. He will have turned everything into a horror show. Right, right. I, and I don't think they actually have an idea beyond that. And I think I think that you can see that's true by the fact that the story doesn't really come alive for me until the evil dread gets invo- introduced. And even then, yeah, that's exciting for two pages. Right. And then they proceed to do nothing with that either. Yeah, I honestly, I, to me, I think that it's it's to me Wagner and Grant are just so resistant to the whole thing. Like later on, they have claimed, you know, it, at least in later interviews and articles, they just weren't into time travel. They weren't into the idea of time travel, but. I think it's more than that. The the fact is is that um when when Wagner and Grant are cooking, they're able to put a lot of world building into the stories that they tell. And they're perhaps because they're just going into a nightmarish version of the future that really just how do I put it? Again, it feels like they are pulling from the Omega Man well, which they've done once or twice before, but they just don't have any – there's no explanation as to how or why the judges are vampires, sort of what kind of vampires they actually are. Like there there was more thought put into the, the werewolf story from the previous volume of judge the judge dread case files which managed to have werewolves and judge dread you know and dread turning into a werewolf but they had to come up with enough weird explanations or things that they were throwing around to kind of make it fizz a little bit here it's just it's just page after page of flat soda and again part of it is i think there's just no um, kineticism. This is this is not Ron Smith is not supposed to be drawing this. Ron Ron Smith does not help the storyline in the initial chapters. And honestly, when Steve Dillon comes on later chapters, this story feels like it comes alive a little bit. Yes, more. it's it's definitely true. It's, Ron Smith is, yeah. is not bringing anything 
of interest in here. And again, we have uh, Kim Raymond's first uh, chapter. Yes. Which, no, 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 no. Right. Um, but with any artist, there's not a lot here, no. right? It's literally Dredd and, and Anderson walk into something. There's a monster. Mm-hmm. They shoot at it and run away. Then they run into another monster. They shoot at it and run away. Yeah. Then they get separated and run into a monster and shoot at it and run away. Yes, exactly. And that's it. Yeah. For like 14 chapters. No, it's totally true. There's no point. There's no point at which Wagner and Grant give you any idea what the monsters can or can't do, how they can or can't be fought. And so there's there's no there's there's no drama here. There's it there's it and a I apologize because it's going to sound like a pun in a story about vampires, but there's no stakes here, Graham. There's no stakes here. Which honestly is is one of the problems, but also you can tell that Wagner and Grant know that and don't have a fix. Yeah, not at all. Anderson actually says really early on, this is the future. Why don't we just go back? Like we've seen the future. We've completed our mission. Yes. Why don't we just go back now and and deal with it? Right, and Dredd's like, no, we've got to fix the city or take care of whoever did this. Yes, and you know, spoilers. The end of the story is Dredd going, "Why don't we just go back to our own time yeah. and fix there?" Yeah, exactly what Anderson said ten episodes before. Yes, exactly. You know, because they because there is no stakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a future where everyone's a monster, but you didn't see everyone become a monster, and also they're really generic monsters that don't do anything. Yeah. They don't, like they can't be that monstrous because yeah. Dread keeps managing to run away from them. Yeah, right, you know? right, exactly. No, there's there's so many scenes. There's there's a scene where as they get closer and closer into the dark, you know, which is the sort of spiral where uh, over the city where the mutant lives and where people have gone into but never uh, escaped from. Uh, you know, Dread and Anderson encounter. You know, first the wraiths, the souls of the damned, and then like these weirdo lizard men, dinosaur guys who just can't be hurt until they can and then they can't again. And, you know, it's just it's all it's it's it it made me wonder if Wagner and Grant had at some point just gotten too overextended, if they were just working on too many series at once and they just weren't able to pay attention to this because the and again their hearts are not in it. It feels like this should be a high stakes story because it's Dread and Anderson in the future supposedly seeing the the fate that has befallen that the Judge Faye had you know warned them against and and it just ends up being the mutant who is the clone of Owen Chrysler, yes. which again. It's the second time in this volume where there's clones and it's never played up the Dread as a clone. Yeah. And again, sure, we've just gotten to the fact that like Dread is, is emotionless and Dread doesn't isn't reflective. Right. Or, you know, he is reflective, but the the his reflection is, is frowned upon and he's he's encouraged not to be reflective. But nonetheless, Wagner and Grant don't even want to play up the fact that, you know, the clone of quote unquote the greatest judge of all is now dealing with the clone of the greatest threat. Yeah, not at all. Not not mentioned. Right. And again, there there's there is something there. Oh, you know, 
You know, so so this is the part where I am going to pounce and talk about how one of the things that is a shame about City of the Damned is if you are sort of mapping it out, if if you wanted to make it be a crazily resonant storyline, all the ingredients are there. It's just all these connections that Wagner and Grant are either uh, are disinclined to draw for a couple of different reasons, not the least of which is a, it's a little bit of a story about because of the nature of Judge Dredd's stories. Like, in a way, City of the Damned could be this huge, huge, huge turning point in in a way for Dredd, at least emotionally. And I think ultimately they decide for any number of reasons that they just don't want to go there or it's not good for the strip to go there. But as you point out, you not only do you have the clone of the greatest judge fighting the clone of the greatest threat, but... You come from a story in, you know, a triptych of stories in which we're explicitly told that Dread has to suppress his feelings in order to continue to do a good job. And we end up encountering, Dread ends up fighting, you know, in sort of traditional people who are used to, you know, listen to us uh, do the Baxter building, the read through the Fantastic Four always knew how excited I got every time Reed Richards got shot into the Phantom Zone because it always allowed me to jump out and start <clears throat> waving around my dinosaur interpretation of, of Jung and talking about the shadow self. But here is Dread fighting his shadow self. Here is Zombie Joe Dread. It's Dread versus Dread. And the Dread that, uh, that the mutant has summoned up is zombie dread he has no feelings he is just blindly obedient and unstoppable he's just essentially pure will so the weird part is is that that is precisely the nightmare vision of dread that we are told that dread has to be in order to continue to be a successful judge and here we are seeing him here there is a way i think there's there's even a line that gets dashed off at one point where i don't know who says it but the idea i i think maybe it's something that the mutant says that the judges as vampires are feeding off of the blood of the people just as they did just as they do in quote unquote reality just as in dreads time you know and so there's supposed to be a way in which city of the damned is dread coming to terms with the most nightmarish extension of himself, his his shadow self. And I think part of why this story misfires is it should also have the shadow of Mega City One. And you don't really have that. You just kind of have, you know, half-hearted, dashed off, like I said, the Omega Man rerun, you know? But... Maybe if it had been more of a funhouse version of Meg City One's funhouse version itself, maybe it would have worked. I don't know. You know, yeah, there's also the fact that it's coming from. I mean, in theory, it is in some respects a sequel to the the case for treatment. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's literally set up on that. Yeah. Where the problem was Dredd was being empathetic, and we're told that the judge is going to be empathetic. You explicitly have Anderson in this storyline talking about how it's different for her yes. because she does get to feel all the emotions. That's right. It's so strange that Dredd has immediately gone to being the unfeeling character again. Right. right. And then when faced with, as you said, like this obedient zombie, mm-hmm. like none of that is brought up. Yeah, no. Like, it, like, it's all just just whiffed. Like it, it, it's genuinely odd that they set up this emotional drama for Dread. The first time we've had emotional drama for Dread. Right. The first time that it has also felt earned and real. Mm-hmm. And then you get to City of the Damned where you can do something with that. Right. You know. Also, Dread is at a, a different. Uh, different space with his relationship with Mega City One. And then he goes forward and Mega City One is fucking destroyed. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. That, there's drama there. Yeah. And none of it's there. Yeah. Nothing about that is in City of the Damned. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think it's ultimately they're just kind of, they can't, the the quote-unquote psychodrama that's there, they they know enough to know that it makes for a good flashy looking story in terms of imagery, but they, they literally don't want to go there and they, they kind of can't, you can't really have dread change or if you could, they couldn't figure out a way how, how to make that work. I I mean, I I think that's the problem, right? I think the problem is that the, the three parter sets up something that they just can't work out how to do. Right. Or, or in its way, the three-parter and city and city of the city of the damned itself is is kind of what they realize in the course of their three-parter is a little bit about that idea of like dread can't change. If dread changes, he can't be dread anymore. Like mm-hmm. the and that is you know that is text, but it's but it's also I think Wagner and Grant thinking this is. This is metatextually true, too. And so you just, you kind of can't have dread change. And so you kind of can't have City of the Dam, this story that is, you know, would, would, is a classic, has all the markings of, you know, a Jungian uh, breakthrough story where they can't really have that breakthrough. They just, there's nothing there that they can really overcome because ultimately, the whole point is dread can't change, you know, or if but there I mean, is, they don't know dread, how dread can't even change on a surface level. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. There is the, the dramatic moment of dread is blinded mm-hmm. in this story. Line. Yes. Right. Like a monster literally pokes his eyes out. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the story, they're like, that's okay. We've given him bionic eyes. Yes. The end. Right. Right. You know, it's like, well, why did you even do it? Well, I mean, it's kind of a cool effect, but again, the weird thing that's that's crazy is uh, uh, the Jungian archetypes all line up. Like, of course he gets blinded. Of course he gets, you know, led by a more empathetic Anderson is his guide, like, you know, fucking Dante. Like, there's all, there's all this stuff that is um, psychologically rich, but because they have made a point to emphasize that they cannot tell psychological stories with that that dread can't be a psychologically rich character 
explicitly, only implicitly, it really can only go so far. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I think also one of the things that's great about City of the Damned for me is the idea that this great, you know, they travel forward into the future to see this horrible thing that Judge Faye has foretold. And as you know, as I put forward in previous episodes, like this is all still Dredd's fault. Like the mutant is there because he's the clone of the child and the Dredd killed. Yes, exactly. And so all of it is still stemming from, you know, this is not the future that would have happened if Dredd had brought the child, the judge child back to mega city one. Like, there, that's still some other sort of timeline, you know, I think. Um, so all of it is still very much mired in this is, you know, Dread is trapped in the world that Dread made. That is very much what City of the Damned is supposed to be. And he ends up encountering, um, you know, a zombified, nightmarish version of himself. It's I don't think that it's any accident that Everyone calls him Joe so much in this storyline after so many stories where he's not, you know, where that never comes up. And what and yet what's amazing is, is for all this, like all this psychological importance, it's still just a it's still just a wet fart of a story. It's got every it's got every piece of the puzzle except the interest to it, you know, and yeah, that's the thing. Like it should be it. Again, when you say it as an abstract, when you mm-hmm. give us plot synopsis, you're like, okay, that sounds great. Right. And it's just – it's not. No. It's just not. Yeah. And it's impressively not. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like we have come up with fixes. We've come up to give, with ways of giving the story more emotional resonance. Mm-hmm. But that's just not there in this story. Yeah. Like it is literally a Scooby-Doo chase. For 14 episodes. Yes. It, you know, yeah. a Scooby-Doo just doesn't even follow its own logic. Yeah, completely. You know, when Wagner and Grant decide that they're done with it and they're just cutting it short, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Dredd can shout at the vampires and they'll leave him alone. Yeah, right. You know, and they make a joke about it. They, ga- they, they lamplight it. They gaslight it. They mm-hmm. lamplight it <laughs> by having Anderson be like, you know, whatever course you went on for, to give talks, I wanted some of that. Yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, they're literally clearly changing the rules because they're like, just fucking end the story. Yeah. Just end the story. Yeah. Talking of that, I promised this last time, the episode where Dredd does shout at the vampires and then they find the teleporter and they teleport uh, back to the time machine. Yes. That is the episode where the art and the lettering was done in two days. Wow. Because Steve Dillon lost the original artwork. Uh, two days before he was meant to hand it in, rather. And so he had to do it again, and Tom Frame had to re-letter it. There are versions out of both the, obviously, the version that printed and the original, which Dylan apparently found immediately after he handed in the other copy. Oh, my God. Uh, and what's amazing is you don't see it. Like, it's so impressively a recreation. How did he manage to do in two days something that is basically identical to what he'd presumably taken a week to do before? Yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 amazing. Yeah, the, the, that episode was done, apart from the opening two pages, which had been done earlier. Mm. The four, four pages he did in two days. Wow. Wow, it's amazing because they look good. And they've got – and they're 
yeah, I never would have thought that. So, yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, man, it's such a bummer. It is such a bummer that it's such a... It should be better, right? Like, the the Mm -hmm. weird thing about it is, because I have this, I had, I should say, had, past tense, not nostalgia for this. Mm -hmm. Because I was reading 2018 at Mm -hmm. this point. I wasn't reading every prog, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember reading parts of this and being like, this is great. Like, I remembered Zombie Dread. Right. You know, I remembered The Mutant, and I was like, oh, that was great, City of the Damned. And I, it's gained this reputation for being like the mega epic that Wagner and Grant were like, we just can't make it work and right. quit. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It has zombie dread. And then reading this time, it really was like, oh shit. Right. It's terrible. <laughs> it's really terrible. But I get it. Like when you're, when you're a kid, like it would have it again, it's, it's in a way it's very much, uh, it says so much about the heights that Wagner and Grant and their art teams and the editors have taken Dread to beforehand that, you know, that you get a really kind of disappointing crap comic book, but that is still filled with, again, a, a lot of big set pieces with things that as a kid are super resonant for you. Like Dread versus Dread, like, and it's you know, zombie dread, and you've got the weird... But also, like, dread had doesn't... Like, his helmet's broken, so his eyes... The eyeglass yes. shattered. Yeah. It's such a great visual. Yeah. And honestly, zombie dread looks great as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cause it's just dread with pointed teeth, but that's a great visual, again. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, there's there's so much here that, again, should work. Yeah. Right. And yet doesn't. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, if we didn't know the heights of dread, maybe this wouldn't feel quite so disappointing yeah the problem is we do and it does mm-hmm. yes exactly it really does and and i think so in a way it's it's kind of there's it's just a type of story and storyline that that wagner and grant i feel ultimately are uninterested in in. Like, I think maybe they thought that they could figure out a way to take the big sort of mega arcs and mega progs that they had done before and sort of maybe imbue it with a lot of psychological resonance, you know, in the idea that it's supposed to end with Dread sort of being renewed to his idea of who he is. But it's, but it, it doesn't, it, it just doesn't work, you know? And, and <clears throat> like, let's very briefly talk about the resolution as well. Sure. Because the resolution of this is, as we said, they just go back to their own time mm-hmm. and then decide, well, let's just kill the clone of the judge child as well. Yes. And they do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I made a joke before that, you know, the, the end of such an anticlimax, it basically eats itself. But the story does eat itself. <laughs> Like, literally, they invalidate everything else that's happened by killing the mutant first. Right. Well, but I don't know. You know, the thing that actually is really funny is is that although they keep talking about the time paradoxes there, like, at one point, they're like, why the hell do we have zombie dread, you know, in a block of of ice if he doesn't exist? Yeah, and also, how do you, how do you still have robot eyes? Yeah. You know, those, those are both right. reasonable, like reasonable questions, right? And they well, are they are again. You know, I, honestly, I sort of feel like there. What's weird is it's 
it's much more the form of time paradox that uh, it's, I almost hate to bring it up, but that got bandied around a lot during Avengers Endgame, you know, is that idea of like, they changed, you know, they changed a timeline, but not necessarily their timeline, like in ways that don't necessarily make, it, again, you're right, it eats itself. There's no reason why, like, just because they destroyed the mutant here, clearly the stuff that happened to them. Well, anyway, let's not let's not climb into it. But yeah, it's it <laughs> it it for whatever reason, I was like, no, this this actually tracks. This actually does sort of work. I have to say, I feel that there's a few things that they could have done. There's a, there's so much they could have done, Graham. I really do. Yes. But it's, yes. you know. I, I, I want to say two things flashing forward to the future of Dread. Sure. Based on this. Mm-hmm. Thing number one, I only realized this time when I was reading City of Damned that the uh, Necropolis, which happens in like Case Files 14, I think, uh-huh. uh, is a rewrite of the story. Oh, and a city of the damned done right. Mm. But to all intents and purposes, it is a rewrite to the point where there's also Dread versus Evil Dread in there. Ah, makes sense. It makes there, sense. There's Mega City 1 getting corrupted and everyone turning into a monster. Right. And there is Evil Dread in there. Yeah. And it, I, I'd never realized that. And I love Necropolis. And like I said, I've read City of the Damned before. Right. And it only this time I was like, shit, Necropolis is a rewrite. Necropolis is literally reworking the storyline to do it right. Mm. Secondly, uh, and this is something we probably will never get to in Drog because it literally just happened in the in the progs. Mm-hmm. Dread having robotic eyes. Mm-hmm. There is literally a Rob Williams storyline that just happened where they did something really smart with that. Oh, really? Which is Dread is going after someone evil in the Justice Department. Uh huh. And they turned Dread's eyes off. Oh man. That's great. Which is really smart, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. It's really smart to just turn his eyes off. Yeah, yeah. I go, you're blind. Your eyes aren't your own. Yeah. We can control your eyes. I, I love that that yeah. moment that happened. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the, you get the, again, the lampshading of the fact that Dredd has, has cybernetic eyes in the end of this, where he says to Anderson, like, I, I only regret not getting these before. This is better vision than that. Right, right. You know, yeah. But beyond that, you never really do a lot with dry tapping robotic eyes. No, so it's fun to see someone right. actually do something with that. Right. And again, how psychologically resonant is the idea that someone comes out of encountering their 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 shadow self with, you know, with better vision? You know, like it's so it so makes exactly like yeah. The metaphor is not subtle. Yeah, exactly. And yet, it it's so easy to pass it off because. You get the sense that Wagner and Grant really don't give a shit in a way. Like it really is kind of like, ah. Well, you know, we're like the metaphors in a subtle. I did. It's very possible they just weren't aware of the metaphors. Well, see, that's it. I, it's it's a little bit like what we were talking about in the previous uh, previous episode of Drock. Is Wagner and Grant are working so quickly at this point that the stuff comes out of their unconscious, like weirdly psychologically fully formed, and and yet also kind of not quite cognizant of what they're doing but you're right yes. they probably yeah. didn't really realize it if you think about it it's kind of crazy i think to me the idea that you could even take it a step further and the idea that 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 essentially dread is 
facing himself split into in City of the Damned. In that there's zombie dread, which is just all willpower. And then there is the Judge Child mutant that is essentially kind of all punishing id. You know, it's kind of all emotion and that emotion is all rage and resentment. And that's kind of that's kind of dread split in two. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how it's supposed to represent. Both of these sides have grown monstrous because they're they're no longer unified, you know, and one finally takes over the other and makes it, you know, it's the the will becomes the slave of the emotions rather than the way it's been for dread up until now, which has been the other way around, you know? Mm. And mm-hmm. so there's kind of supposed to come out of this with Dredd having more of a commitment to that, to who he's supposed to be. Like, it's it's amazing how much it all maps in a way that, but because it doesn't, it really well, because doesn't Because it doesn't matter. exist. Yeah, right. Right? <clears throat> like, mm-hmm. we, we can make it map. Yeah. We can find the thematic resonance. We can find the emotional through lines. Right. But we're making it up. It's not in the text. Well, yes. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is the pieces are there, but because the pieces are never pulled together, it's you know, it's, that's that's why no, yeah, that's why I mean, exactly like, we can we can find these things. Yes, but you know, it's I it's really not even their subtext. Mm-hmm. Like it's just that all the pieces connect. Yes, right. But it's not in, even in the pieces subtext. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the thing that honestly is so frustrating about this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you said last time, we talked about the fact that it's possible they literally are not aware of what they're doing, mm-hmm. but it worked. Mm-hmm. And this time, they're not aware of what they're doing, and yet it just falls short. Yeah, and the, there's a there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and it's a difference you really feel when you read it. Unfortunately. So, uh, and that puts us weirdly close to, it's so funny. I'm like, yeah, and that's the end of the volume. Like there's another hundred no, pages in here. Like, no, like, I know. Like, I know. Yeah. Like that's just two thirds through. But again, like City of the Damned, which is, is very disappointing. It's mm-hmm. followed by the Hunter's Club, which is even more disappointing. Yes. Isn't it weird? It's the a... Hunter's Club is, is just, and again, it's like six or seven parts long. Yeah. And there's nothing to it. Yeah. Yeah. It it just gets dragged out. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I don't, you know. Like, it's a, it's a two, just as Gator really should have been one episode and right. not three. Mm-hmm. The Hunters Club should have been, like, two or three at most. Right. You know, there's a club of wealthy people who are killing people in Mega City 1 and Dread chases after them. Right. It's not a long story. And yet, for some reason, it's, like, seven chapters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also it's seven chapters without an ending. Yes, because the ending is the club gets away to to kill people another day, mm-hmm. and so you really are left going, okay, they just were stretching things out because they didn't have another idea. Like what what is going on here? And again, that seems weird because mm-hmm. the last couple of volumes have been full of ideas. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. You know, again, I feel because because once again we have the the hunters club it's like i don't know five or six parts drawn by ron smith and maybe two drawn by steve dillon 
or maybe one by Steve Dillon and then one by Cliff Robinson that, holy shit, looks beautiful. Fucking hell. That, you know, and maybe, maybe if they'd been drawing the first five parts, it would have looked, it, it would have resonated. But I think there really is kind of that point of Smith, who, who I really have liked so much in previous volumes, just feels exhausted in a way that Wagner and Grant do as well. And so it's just, you know, the powder is wet. It's just not, it's just not catching in a way. Except every once in a while when the art really picks up where I'm like, oh yeah, that thing of Steve Dillon where all of a sudden it's all panicked faces, but because they're Steve Dillon panicked faces as opposed to, I mean, how many panicked well, desperate faces of Ron Smith's have we seen by this point, you know? Yeah. Well, but not only that, like Steve Dillon has a, a, a cartoonishness mm-hmm. that, that weirdly I think Smith doesn't. Smith does lots of exaggeration and cartoonishness, but right. – it, it feels more mannered. It feels yes. more mm-hmm. fake. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. D- Dylan is, is much more direct in terms of his art. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so there's that. There is this weird monstroso one-off. Is, is it okay. Part? And this is Monstrous. where I was like, mm-hmm. yes, this is where I was like, so we really are just dealing with weird, like greatest hit shit. When was the last time we had a robots gone mad story? Yeah. Right. You know, it's it. I, I, like the robots got mad. It's a one-off, and sure, you know, there's not much space you can do in six pages, but it presents nothing new. That's like from Case Files one. Well, yes, and so much so that it's it's like the crazy fill-in issue. They don't even do anything with it. You know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. If you said that it was someone else writing in Wagner Grant style, I'd believe you. Yeah, because there's nothing to Monstroso no. at all. Like, I, there's a robot who, who just shouts, come fight Monsteroso, and so Dread fights him, and then uh, he hides inside the robot, and the robot punches itself until it stops. The end. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. What the, what the fuck? And that's followed by Spug Bug, which, again, feels like their greatest hits and also has a certain amount of, like, but the why did you guys do that? There's there's a point in t- in um, uh, throw power overload where they're talking about the years eighty four through eighty five where the where essentially some of the characters and some of the storylines are are running out of steam essentially yeah. and, and they they talk about it very specifically from Rogue Trooper who you know they're kind of like. They ra- they finally wrap up Rogue's first great storyline, and then instead of retiring the character, they come up try to come up with a second storyline, and they're like, and everyone more or less agrees, it's not a good idea. Like the characters have been around lo- long enough that they're sort of running out of juice, and from the creative side and through a power overload, people are talking about the fact that they don't own the rights. <clears throat> they're just paid a greater page rate up front. But, you know, someone, and I don't remember who in, in the book, talks about how it sort of leads to creators just kind of cranking it out by the page because they get a good page rate. But it's but after a while, it's not anything they're really invested in because it's not anything 
that they're, you know, that they're literally invested in. They don't even get reprint rights for it. You know, they don't get repaid rate. So, um, you know, it's at a stage where 2000 AD is sort of the victim of its own success in that it takes it so far, but then at a certain point, it just, you know, kind of plateaus. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and... And, and, you, the, and this this is the plateau book, or, or even like a slight, book, yeah. or even as like a slight dip, because yeah. like after Spugbug, which again, like you said, there's nothing to it. Mm-hmm. It's another one chapter where like a Mega City One craze goes too far, right? You know, right? Uh, but after that, you get the 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 you know Pyromania uh, storyline, right? I mean, I can't remember what it's called. Does it actually have a... I don't think it has an overall story. It, it, yeah, I don't uh, think so. The first uh, but, part... Yeah. But what it, sh- what it should be called is, oh my God, those racist accents. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, it's... and With a weirdly racist ending, too. Oh my really... God, yes. Oh. Like, which, which is actually, you know, in this day and age especially, I, I, I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah. So uh, the overall plot is... There's a kid who is a pyromaniac. Oh, by the way, Jeff, you may or may not know this. The film Firestarter came out at the same time. Yes. As the oh, believe me, I'm very aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, this kid has is pyromaniac and and like has telepathic powers and makes things go on fire and and basically falls in with a bad crowd, right? Uh, who make him blow things up and he's very upset about it uh, and then he goes after the the kids who made him do it and then he burns himself in front of the judges his he's an immigrant and his family are immigrants with i mean genuinely the most stereotypical like accents it's it's yeah. it's horrible it's genuinely horrible yeah uh, but the end of it is literally dread being like i don't know why we let you in the country yeah fuck yeah exactly Exactly. It, it's yeah, they they end up because, of course, the parents end up going to jail for failing to uh, in, inform immigration about their son's abnormality. And they're like, ay, 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 why did we ever leave Puerto Nova? And he's like, more to the point, why did we ever let you in 30 years move? And it's just like, yikes. Yeah. Like, really? Oh, yeah. no. Oh, no, indeed. No. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just. I, again, it's just it's just a dull story, and again, a dull story that goes on too long. It's three chapters. It's only three parts, too. I mean, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be three parts. Again, you know, you could do it in two easily. Well, Are you yeah. done it in one? There's an element in this book entirely of things being overextended. Yeah, of arcs just running. I mean, not only as saying they're welcome, just like running significantly longer than there's there's meat on the on the bone for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which, I mean, maybe that speaks to, again, Wagner and Grant are just tired. Yeah, I think so. You know? And are just like, fuck it, we have to do another dread. Okay, well, what if we do what we planned for this one-off, but why don't we make it two parts? Right. Or, you know, we've got a story here for three. Can we can we just, like, fail a bit? Because it feels like that. And honestly, as a reader, it feels like that. Mm-hmm. It feels like, I, I don't know about you, but, like, I felt like I was working through this book. In a way that the other ones haven't felt like that. Oh, believe me, I, I, yes, yeah, I definitely felt the same. Um, which is, which is a shame because I've, I think I've said I've had points where 
it sort of feels like work and then I'll hit, you know, for like the first 40 or 50 pages and then like, I don't know, I'll sync up with what they're doing or they'll hit a great moment or then the book really takes off. And this one is just, yeah, it, just, never, it never takes off. No, you know, it really we have, doesn't. have the great case for treatment storyline and then immediately following the, the pyromaniac storyline, you have uh, Sunday Night Fever, mm-hmm. which is the other like legitimately great story in this arc, mm-hmm. which is another graveyard shift story. But as we said before, it's really a story about desperate people losing it. Right. You know, which, which but also desperate in a new way. Yeah. It's not someone going footsie. It's not a craze gone mad. Mm-hmm. It's literally these people have no self-worth because they have no job. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to lose. Yeah. And so they just riot for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something authentic about that that feels grounded and feels real and gives it a gravitas that this entire book has been missing up until this point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's true. I, I think it's it's funny because I feel like Graveyard Shift was such a great such a great arc and great story on its own. Sunday Night Fever has in trembles on the edge of kind of falling into that same sort of greatest hits. Uh, well, that's just it. What, like the, the first page mm-hmm. actually says Sunday night more than any other than the graveyard shift is special. I mean, I saw that my heart sank. Yeah, exactly. Cause I was like, Oh God, nethered in graveyard shift. Like that was so good. And that was literally just like a, a book ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then they do something with it. Yeah, I think so. Like you said, by making it, by making Sunday night being the night where everyone flips out because it's the night before, you know, the end of your weekend and you're supposed to go back to work. But most of these people are not going to work and have never gone to work. And and so it's kind of it's it's such a cruel evening for them that that everyone sort of starts flipping out, you know suicides and murders and and again just that there's such a wonderful at one point the job riot is so perfect in the way that it's kind of a classic wagner grant um little dark humor satirical point but it also really does make sense that what ends up happening is somebody flips out and thinks that they are um you know, essentially they flip out and kill the person or think they killed the person who took their job, you know, the chance for them to get their job many years ago. And everyone in the bar watching is like, oh, you know what this means? There's a job opening. And so everyone starts running over to try and apply for the job. And then everyone keeps telling everyone else so that several thousand people show up at this gas station to go and get a job and they're greeted by the person who has the job. Yes. Yeah. There, there's like, no, I'm, I'm Mac. And the other thing of course that I should note is, is that they talk about the fact is the job was being canary man and uh, over with and gas. And I was like, Oh, is that what they call like a full service gas station attendant? But no, the canary man is the person who breathes the air. And if they die, the robots know there's a gas leak. So, it's the grimmest job possible. And of course everyone is ready to murder to get it. So, uh, and then of course what ends up happening is somebody breaks out the sewer gas, 
the rodentine sewer gas and then everybody just starts dying en masse. Again, a lot of like, you know, melting faces and, you know, protruding skulls. But but Cam Kennedy is uh, is clearly, you know, bringing the gusto to it that, that it kind of needs, you know? Yeah, actually, we should talk about the fact that this is Kennedy's, I want to say it's his first, second Dread story. Mm-hmm. And the first one was just that one-parter. But Kennedy's art is great here. Yeah. And again, you know, we've had some lackluster art mm-hmm. up to this point. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy, the fact that Kennedy's art is just so energetic yeah. and so bold really helps, you know. Mm-hmm. But but this storyline just works in a way that everything else in the book doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, that this feels like it has a pointed satire behind it. Yeah, uh, it feels like it has an intent. It feels like it has a purpose, and it feels like. Kennedy, sure, but also Wagner and Grant are energized in a way that the rest of the book isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like it feels like they're actually saying something, and they've remembered the dread if treated right as a strip can 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 do something, can right. say something, be about something. Well, and as you as you mentioned, this is taking place, you know, at a period where the UK is under horrifying levels of unemployment. So. You know, it's... And, so, and so the fact that the final captions are, in a way, Ruby Furclough is, is, is lucky, rather. For her, unemployment is no longer an issue. For millions of others, unfortunate enough to be at liberty, the agony must continue. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that, in, in the context that it's in, mm-hmm. is, it, it feels weighted, feels important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I don't know if you want to cover, there's just a handful of stories left. I think if not, we should mention the very last story in the volume, which is kind of a code 99, you know, a judge, a muck story, uh, with really nice art by Ian Kennedy. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know Kennedy to judge Dredd to be honest. When I saw, I was, I, I loved it. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought, I thought it was so nice. It's such a nice thing. Yes, I do want to talk about that strip. I also want to talk about the Cadet Briscoe strip, though. Yes. Why don't, okay, that's good, because that's also thematically relevant, I suppose. You know. Yes, the Cadet Briscoe strip very, very quickly is, Dread is, for all intents and purposes, a remote control judge. Mm-hmm. He is being told what to do by a cadet who's on the 13th assignment, assessment to essentially decide, like, can you be a judge? And... The punchline, such as it is, is that he has to direct Dredd to arrest his mother. Yes. He doesn't just tell Dredd to do that. He makes her sentence harder so that she'll she'll rat on her friends. That's right. The, the punchline of the strip is anyone who put sentenced their mother to 18 years in jail is going to make a great judge. Yeah. And again, we're getting back to the idea that judges are basically like fucked up terrible people with no feelings yes yeah you know and it's it's but it is done in an amusing way it's done quickly and it's gets the point across in in a way that i think the, the rest of the book or much of the rest of the book actually really struggles to be succinct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah like i think again it suffers from fairly lackluster uh ron smith art mm-hmm you know, it, the, the Ron Smith art is, is not the best for that. But I think the idea of the story is so strong. Yeah. Yeah, completely. But yeah. you're right. Let's let's talk about the the uh, the, the Judge Amok story. Yeah. 
which is, you know, a variation in, in the greatest hits mode of what we've seen. Sort of a judge goes bad, so to speak. Uh, judge Sleever is there with Dread, and the story opens with um, someone actually speaking out against the judges on Speaker's Square and um, saying that the, the judges are far from being the guardians. They are the citizens' jailers. Sleever, who is stationed there with Dread, says that it sounds like subversion when Dread's like, it's just a citizen letting off steam. It's his legal right long as he doesn't leave the square. Sleever just flips out, kicks the guy off his stand, begins kicking him. Dread's like, you're under arrest. And we so we basically see the variation of, of judge versus judge. What helps is there is fabulous art on this. Um, and it's it's pretty much all action. But then the beautiful last page, which is that... Um, is that you see Sleever has basically cracked <clears throat> the, the, the one of the next to last panel says, even with the most effective training in the world, the stresses of the street can cause a judge to crack. When that happens, 22nd psychotechnology swings that into action. Sleever may never recover, but with luck and careful laser surgery, Sleever could be on, back on the streets within days. 20 years experience is too valuable to throw away. And he's driven off as in the back of the with the paddy wagon yelling out, you're all guilty. I'll be back. I'll get you. And, you know, this is this is the this is the dread that's uh, the worst case scenario of dread from, you know, a case for treatment is this is they're, they're just going to laser his brain. Better. They're just going to laser his brain better and then put him back out on the streets one step closer to the zombie, you know, that. Uh, well. But here, but here's the other thing that's that makes this so so. It's such a great way to end the book, mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think anyone involved in the book actually realized. Because not only is it yes, hearkening back to case for treatment, the idea that they were going to laser dread's brain away. Mm-hmm. It's in the same book as Dread Angel, where you see someone getting brain getting lasered away, and they say outright, "Oh, he'll recover." Oh yeah, right. So Very they're right. literally saying the end of this book is literally saying. This guy went mad, tried to kill not only citizens, but also the chief judge in the story. Right. We're going to laser his brain away and put him back in the streets because he's like, we've, we've invested so much time and money in him to do that. But also, his brain's going to recover, so he's going to do it again. Yes. <laughs> like, that's dark. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I didn't realize that, but you're right. Oh, my God. It is pretty damn dark. It's a great way to end the book because it does sort of tie in with these two things from before. Yes. But it's also – if there is a, a lesson to be learned from this book in terms of the world building of Dread, it's that the judges really, really do not care about the citizens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At all. To the point where anyone being human is seen as a detriment to their career. Yes. And instead it's about, you know, we've, we've spent time training these, these people up. And, you know, the, what's important is the law. Mm-hmm. And the law is what we define it to be. Yeah. Yeah, it it's uh it and yet somehow for various reasons it's still a deeply unsatisfying volume. I think because in its own way uh Wagner and Grant are feeling the weight of their own sort of Success. unending grind, you know? Yeah. It's uh Well, and also I th- I think I think they're dealing with 
the success of the strip, you know? Because think about it. When this is going on, they're also writing the Daily Star Dread. Right. Uh, as this is going on, they're also developing the uh, – it never happened, but they're developing the Judge Dread fortnightly. That's right. For, for 2080. Yeah. Right? So they're doing a lot of stuff besides what's in here. Well, and I, and so I think it, it makes sense that here you have a book where the two underpinnings are essentially – you're doing a job and it is so stressful, it is driving you crazy, and yet the other alternative is being utterly jobless and and essentially being driven crazy by that. You know? Like it it's just it's not a very um it's it seems to me like a very much a that the curse of a successful freelancer's, you know. Uh, being the prime motivator underneath all of it is the real thematic engine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. It, it's such a uh, so it is. It's a, it's an unsatisfying book. It's a bad yeah. book. Mm-hmm. There's so much here to, to dig into, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, both what you're saying, but also I have no idea if you noticed this. There's so much more of the gimmicky block names. Mm. Um. Especially because there's so much more of like random British celebrities of the moment. Mm. You get Jimmy Tarbuck, you get Russell Grant, you get Julia Bravo, which is like a t- British TV show about a woman cop. Mm. Um, but you also get like Genghis Grimtoad gets gets name dropped at one point as a block. <laughs> Who's Genghis Grimtoad? It's it's a British comic strip. Ah, okay. Uh, I I can't I like Ian Gibson drew it. I want to say maybe Wagner and Grant wrote it. Well, and you'll notice uh, John Stanley block, of course. John Stanley is uh, the you know well-known cartoonist who drew uh, Nancy. Um, uh, there's also Wim Vender's block. Yes, Wim Vender's block was was pretty great. Arthur Nestler block shows back up again. Um, yes, but so you get like gimmicky names, right? The, yeah. I feel there's I feel the the in the you know so many of the. Uh, disappointing one-off strips uh, or the the greatest hit strips. There's so much. They're like they're so much more facile. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it feels much more gimmicky. Feels much more like oh, just throw in a funny block name and and you know yes. a quip. Yeah, that's fine. Like mm-hmm. it really feels much more tossed off. Mm-hmm. There's also like random references that are kind of again th- they must have been thrown in to entertain Wagner and Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the there's a reference to Darby and Joan think something's okay at one point. Like, did, is Darby and Joan a thing in America? Mm, I don't. If they not that I know of. Okay, Darby and Joan in the UK is like an old married couple who are like completely content to be mediocre. Mm. Like it's it's a it's a thing. Like there's a, the Darby and Joan club is a thing. So there's so there are these references which again kids won't get. Yeah. Right. Right. And so they must be put in to entertain the creators, mm-hmm. which I guess I'm glad something is. Right. Because th- this really – this feels like the, a book made by people who are tired. Yeah, I think so too. You know, and, yeah. and who are who are ready to step off the treadmill. Did you say treadmill or dreadmill? Because that's awesome. Uh, it's treadmill I said, but I, sure, I said dreadmill. That's exactly what <laughs> okay. I said. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. No, wow. but it is like it's 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 a really disappointing book. It's a really unsatisfying volume. Yeah, but again, it's you can't say there's nothing there. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm glad I read it. I just I just wish that it had been better. 
because I really kind of was expecting. I don't know. Anyway, it's... you were expect you were expecting more because, as you said previously, like even when we go into a volume and we're not feeling it, mm-hmm. it comes through at some point. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, it, definitely. And and it just and this one just didn't. There really were moments of like the the case for treatment three parter is great. The Sunday Night Fever storyline is great. Mm-hmm. Everything else is varying degrees of missing. Yeah, and, and of of sometimes not even feeling like it's trying mm-hmm. you know oh, there yeah. is so much repetition yeah they're like mm, okay fine i guess yeah but but it is just there there is such a disappointment mm-hmm. uh feeling like palpable throughout this entire volume mm-hmm. that it is just like i mean we do expect more now jeff yes yes we do graham so yeah Oof. Ah, well, I I think that wraps it up. Unless, well, well okay, I've no. told you what my favorite. Well, I've told you what my favorite storylines in this volume are. What are what are yours? You know, I I think that I think that I am inclined to agree. I feel like I like the um, the the little prelude. You know, the um, the art between Ewan and um, um, Mulligan. No, wait, hold on. It's the gorgeous art uh, that you, I'm looking you, at right you and Milligan. Yes, yes Ewan's and Milligan, the the Wally squad, if nothing else. I enjoy the look of it. God, God, it is just so beautiful to look at. And, you know, the story more or less holds together. It's nothing – it's not as it's not as great as it looks. Um, but, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. The, the, the little triptych, the judgment triptych and Sunday Night Fever are, are the strongest parts. And apart from that, it's just various bits and pieces where the art is lovely, and I can appreciate. Yeah, like it he, on that the level. Ian, the Ian Kennedy thing is is great. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, like it really is. Well, and that other piece is it? Uh, who was the other artist that I remember thinking was really good? And it's just one chapter or something. Is it? Maybe that. Maybe that was the Ian Kennedy. So anyway, so yeah, it's it's at the is it the finale of the Hunters Club? Is it, uh, isn't isn't the finale for the Hunters Club still Ron Wang? Uh, Ron? Uh, no, Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson. Oh, Cliff, the, yeah, yeah. And that that work looks super lovely. It's kind mm. of wasted in like the world's most bluck story, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's 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 really disappointing. Like it is, it's really disappointing. Mm-hmm. There, there's so much that is disappointing about this volume. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we we when we first did. When we we sort of started off, we were, we asked, you know, is this something that you'd say you'd recommend as the first volume? Right. And I'm going to flip that around. I think this is the first volume I actually wouldn't recommend. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. Despite seeing the appeal in everything, even volumes, you know, really early volumes one and two and what have you, this is the first volume that I would tell people that they could safely avoid or ignore. You know, yeah. And definitely not the first volume to read if you want to get a sense oh, God, of what's no. great about no. dread so yeah it's kind of disappointing yeah it is and i look forward to everyone's uh comments uh on our show notes telling us why they're wrong why we're wrong <laughs> and why their favorite story is contained in this volume and why we did it a huge disservice i okay i will say this if that's true and someone's favorite story is city of the damned i genuinely like you to tell us why but if if it's if there's a reason why people are like City of the Damned is my favorite dread story beyond nostalgia, mm-hmm. I would genuinely like to know why. I'm not 
saying this in like a sarcastic way. No, no, I'm no. You're right. In a trolling way. I, I would love to know because, like I said, I had a lot of warm, nostalgic feelings about this. And yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yet it's not good. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you mentioned the show notes. This is when I will tell everyone that uh, the show notes are going to go up at some point on Monday. Because, again, it's me. Some point on Monday, question mark, at waitwhatpodcast.com. While you're waiting for that, you can check out our Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. You can check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. Um, excuse me. Uh, or you can check out our Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff, have I forgotten anything else? Oh, you are on Twitter. Oh, at that's least true. Mm-hmm. At L-A-C-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And other than that, Drock exists, my friends, because of your kindness towards something called Patreon, which Jeff is about to talk about. Yes. Everyone, I will keep it uh, short and sweet, or at the very least, short. Um, We're so grateful to all of our listeners for, I don't know, just sort of keeping us keeping us talking all these years um and we're super grateful to the keeping people us on the straight and narrow keeping us on the audio straight and narrow but we also super appreciate the people at uh patreon who are kind enough to uh part with some of their hard-earned mega city one creds uh to to you know show their appreciation uh it manages to keep us um energized even when uh the, the mighty Wagner and Grant are themselves running on fumes, as happens to all of us from time to time, it should be said. Uh, we're incredibly grateful uh, without you. Not only, as Grant points out, would this show not exist, but uh, as, you know, the Baxter Building, where we read through the first entire 416 issues, the volume one of the Fantastic Four which we did in 50 episodes, is, uh, is a thing that is also uh, something that we can lay at your feet. So thank you, all of you. We want to give a special shout-out of appreciation to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for continuing support of this podcast and this little corner of Yield Galactic Rim. Graham? I have two things that I need to say post-credits, as it were. Look at us. We're like a Marvel movie. Thing number one, <laughs> our Instagram address wrong. It's Instagram.com forward slash wait what pod, not wait what podcast. Oh. I am a moron. Thing number two, I said at the very start of the episode that the 1984-1985 was important. And A, it was important because Wagon Grant were developing a Judge Dread fortnightly, which never came to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the strips ended up in the 2000, in 2008, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hell Trekkers does, which is just a wacky strip, Jeff. The Hell Trekkers is is one of the few like Wagner Grant in the eighties things that's never been collected, and there's a reason for that, which wow. is Hell Trekkers is a mess. <laughs> it's a strip where uh, people leave two thousand uh, leave Mega City One mm-hmm. to go find life in Mega City Two. Right. And to do that, across the mega, the cursors themselves. Right. Uh, and it's literally a strip where Mike Rand just continually kill off the, the cast in in a number of ways until they get to the end. Wow. And it's impressively underwhelming. Mm-hmm. It, there, there, there's a fun amount of grim humor that goes through the whole thing. Right. But you can also tell that like they didn't really like 
think of what they're going to do when it ends, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it ends with like the weirdest joke ever. Wow. Which is there there's a couple that makes it one of the few families that makes it uh have a mutant child who looks like a crab. Right? And the end of the series, I shit you not, is the crab goes for a swim and never comes back. Wow. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. Good lord. But um for people who were reading Case Files 8 along with us. You might have noticed there is a story about what Ron Reagan block that yes. starts off with a comment about Judge Fire has been on the move. Yes. You might have thought, wait, how? Mm-hmm. Because the last time we saw our judges, they were taken care of. In the Judge Dredd strip, they were. But that's contemporaneous with the Judge Anderson spinoff mm. where the dark judges are on the loose again. Ah, so, we're now at the point where, like, there is weird cross-continuity happening, but it's literally in a caption that is never explained. Right. Well, and that whole story is such a strange one-off because it's all about all the people that have been killed by the Dark Judges and Dread and the Judges sort of tracking down who the citizens were and finding various crimes associated with their bodies. It's a weird idea for a strip. And it also ends with them being like, you're kind of like, oh, this is a weird opening for a Dark Judges story. But, you know, part two is going to cover the, them going after the judges. And then they don't. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I'm glad you mentioned they're it. Taking care of, they're taking care of the Anderson story. Like, it's so weird. Wow. Wow. You know, like, it's, 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 there's no... Like, there's not even a caption being like, it's a fucking Judge Anderson that's in a, you know? Right. It just, it's just mentioned and not followed up on. Uh, so, yeah, the spinoffs are now actually happening. As this, mm. And this is the, we're now entering the point where things will happen in other strips that will impact Dread. Wow. And you'll never really fully get an, an explanation in the case files. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not happened yet, but there's a, a, an Anderson strip that brings back Orlock. The the East Meg agent who started Blockmania, who started the Apocalypse War. Right. Huh. Right? Orlock will eventually show back up in Dread. Mm-hmm. And there will be, like, lots of references to his connections to Anderson. And that's never explained in the case files. Wow. Right? So you're going to get a bunch of that from now on. Mm. Things will be happening, especially as we get into... It's around about case files 15, I think, that the magazine starts up. Uh. And the case collect well the case files collect the judge dread strips from 2008 and the magazine mm-hmm. but they don't collect the other strips from the magazine wow. where other things can happen it never derails the dread strip right but there would just be things where you'll be like i don't remember that happening and the answer <laughs> is, you wouldn't you've not read those stories i see well that's good to know for me because otherwise i'd just be like what the hell are they even doing again like the ron reagan block story where it was like Kind of, it kind of, we didn't talk about it at all, but it was something that I thought was kind of delightful. This idea of like, yeah, here's this big, huge event, the Dark Judges on loose, but all you're seeing is this one little aftermath part, you know? I thought that it was, it was their attempt to do sort of slice of life kind of story that was really odd and fun. Those are the two post-credit sequence that I can, I can offer to whatnots right now. Uh, we are going to be back drawing again in a month. We're yes. going to be doing Case Files 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, I can't even remember what happens in Case Files 9, so I can't even tease it for you. Great. I'm sure it'll be fine. 
<laughs> It'll be Judge Dredd, Mega City One. What do you need? A roadmap? Join us. Uh, in the meantime, two weeks from now, we're going to be back with another Wait What. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, I am going to be in New York for New York Comic Con. And Jeff is going to be in uh, San Francisco just relaxing, I hope. Oh. But two weeks from now, we'll be doing another uh, Wait What. And I will have, I guess, New York Comic Con stories to tell. Oh, yes, tell. you will. Yes, you will, Graham. Well, we'll have to hope that something happens. <laughs> if something happens, sure, I'll tell you. That's all. Jeez, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, it's Drock. You sing us out. Yes, I do. Uh, thank you for joining us. And until next time, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. <laughs>